Welcome, everybody, to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Inc. I'm Pete Wright, and I am here with number four, the fourth time ever. It's a historic day, Gail Gregory on the hey, show. Ah, what a relief, Gail. This is so exciting. I know. I'm very, so very excited. I know. It's quickly quick turnaround. After the third. Yeah. I know. It's becoming a regular thing. Uh, I don't don't let me get too comfortable. It's going to be it, shocked will, when Howard gets back. It will always be special, though, won't it? <laughs> it will always be special. That's the truth. <laughs> okay, uh, good. We we have a very special guest on the show. Nuno Kuto lives and works from his RV. In his work as a consultant and project manager in higher education, his ultra mobile command center has become a central component to leading change through his firm. Optimal Partners, and Nuno joins us on the show today. Nuno, welcome to Navigating Change. Hey there. Very grateful for uh, the invitation. Well, we are thrilled to have you here. This week, uh, we're going to be taking on this big question, why should we care about the future of higher ed? Uh, seems maybe uh, maybe too big for us to answer, but as we are wont to do, I think we're going to try and do it. First, however, uh, make sure to head over to typolink.com to learn more about us and this show to subscribe for free in iTunes or your podcast application of choice. And join the conversation on Twitter, at Howard Teibel, or find us on LinkedIn. All right, old business out of the way. Nuno, you say that your work is to bring together the giving back and social cause side with the business side of higher education. This, to me, uh, it, it was a profound statement, but I want to make sure that you and I agree as to why it's profound. Can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by that? Sure, sure, absolutely. You're you're asking about my favorite topic. My passion for higher ed and for learning, all types of learning, goes back many, many, many years. And um, in my youth, I actually had to overcome quite a few obstacles um, in terms of uh, being able to attend college. Um, and that left a very profound impact on me, such a profound impact that later on in life, when I decided to build my own consulting company, I decided hey, I need to do something that is aligned with that passion and aligned with my desire to promote um, education, education of all types. Um, so in doing that, I said to myself, okay, sure, I want to build a business, but I also want to do something that makes, that makes a difference in people's lives, that makes a difference in students' lives and, and in their goals, helping them to get to where they, they want to be. So uh, long story short, um, I have tried hard and continue to try hard to, to bring those two things together. Um, and in every opportunity that I can, I attempt to give back to students and to uh, startup companies coming out of universities, um, mentoring, promoting events, sponsoring events. And honestly, in the business side, I never sell. And I just never sell. I just try to give back and everything just falls into place. What does that look like when you, when you, like, can you describe a, a project that, that, that effectively brings together this sort of the cause side and, and the business side? And I, you know, I, I, it, it comes to me because you know we've had a number of, of business officers, chief financial officers, presidents on this very show, and and um, you know this the the cause side, the social side has never has never come up, and I you know it's part of it is I I don't know that we have an effective language uh, to to talk about it, but uh, it, it leads to such a an interesting conversation around passion that that um, I'm I want you to educate us a little bit on how we can effectively talk about it. You know, it is difficult to define. It is difficult to define 
uh, even for me, what I mean by social uh, entrepreneurship or social business, everybody has a different definition. So I'm just, you know, I'm just learning as I go. I, I, I take what I love and I just, and I just do it and I weave it into everything I, I do on the, on the business side. So to give you a concrete example, um, years ago, I um, made friends with uh, the dean of the University of Massachusetts in Dartmouth, and uh, we had several several conversations, and we started to discuss, as our friendship developed, um, how I could be of assistance, how I could uh, help out the local university. Now, this is a university that is in southeastern Massachusetts. It is um, not as well known as others. It is in an economically under uh, represented area, so students are looking for opportunities. They're looking for 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 engagement. They're looking for mentorship. So it became obvious that those were the things that, that were needed. You know, so for at first I started to put together some presentations. Uh, you know, just calling together a group of students and say, hey, here's what I'm all about. Here's a little bit about what I do. Here's here's IT. How can I help? That led in, that led to more and more people becoming interested. Um, it got to the point where uh, a group of students, probably about 10 students or so, started to meet with me on a regular basis. And together, we were working to try to figure out how we, would, we could create a mentorship program for the university to bring in other people beyond myself. We also were working, and still are working, on creating um, an entrepreneurial ecosystem, uh, you know, bringing together the different agencies in the area with various universities, even up in Boston, come together at UMass Dartmouth um, to really create an environment in which not just students, but, but uh, members of the community could come together, pitch their ideas, their business ideas, and be um, mentored in that way. So just recently, we had a, our first startup weekend at UMass Dartmouth. Um, we're going to have another one. The next one will be focused on social entrepreneurship. Uh, soon we're doing the same thing in the Azores, which is where I'm from, I mean, you know, archipelago uh, violence in the middle of the Atlantic. So um, it, that's just one example. And, and that actually hasn't turned into any sort of business at UMass Dartmouth. That's fine. That's totally fine. I know it's something I love to do. It's, it's such a fascinating look at just how you can, how you can cultivate that uh, the kind of spirit of enthusiasm, entrepreneurship, and change uh, in, in you know, like ripples in a pond. Um, Gail, what, you know, what is it about this conversation that got you excited to have, um, have Nuno join us on the show? Because you've been very excited about having Nuno on the show. I have because he um, he's someone who loves what he does, and we we always love to talk to people who love what they do. And I think it's it's the way that he takes his passion and lives it every day. And I think um, you know there are so many challenges that we talk about in higher ed. You know the, the things, the the difficulties that they're that they're facing. But the people that I find to be most successful in higher ed are the people who, in spite of the challenges, still tap into that inner passion of why they got into higher ed in the first place, and then see these challenges as opportunities as opposed to uh, insurmountable. And so that that's what really resonated with me um, in the in the first conversation that I had with Nuno. The thing Things that we talk about generally on this show are the most difficult kinds of, of challenges that institutions are facing to the point where we, we talk, you know, more often than it's comfortable for anybody about institutions that have closed. Uh, it, it's an incredibly difficult 
time. How do you spin that through this kind of work to reminding institutional leaders, from institutional leaders to boards to to faculty uh, to students, that this is a time to think of expansion, cultivation, and and sort of growth. Um, through this fulfilling work. You hit the nail on the head in the last group you got to, to Pete, where you mentioned students, where I think it's, it and, and Nuna, where you talked about the student mentorship. It's remembering all about the students, and it's it can be, unfortunately, sometimes easy to forget that um, in these different conversations that we have, but keeping the focus on the students and uh, and the outcomes for the students, uh, I think, is is the answer. Again, why are we here in the first place? I have learned such incredible lessons um, in my uh, engagement with, with the students. They have taught me so much, so, so much. Probably the thing that they have taught me the most is... Uh, there's so many, but the first one that comes to mind is just their incredible abilities, their creativity, their desire to make a difference, their desire in some cases. I mean, some of these kids don't even want to get paid. They just want to get the exposure. They want to make a difference. And when they're given the, the opportunity, my, my website, for example, that was all built by students. I gave them guidance as to what I was looking for in the end. They built it, I, I, and I was blown away by what they did. These kids are good. And by the way, I'm not recommending that you don't pay the students. I, I, I always, always <laughs> try, try, try to pay them. You know, I don't think it's fair to, to not pay them. Um, but what I'm saying is that's how much passion some of these kids have. I encourage everyone who's out there to take a chance on some of these, um, uh, especially the, the, the universities that are not as, not as well-known. Because these are where the kids are like clamoring for, for some exposure. You know, the Harvards and the MITs—they're all—they're all set. It's the ones that are in southeastern Massachusetts and in, you know, uh, somewhere in the in the backwoods of New England that that don't have that exposure. I can tell you more, but I think I'm getting a little long-winded. <laughs> no, 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 it's good. I, no, you know, I, I spent the weekend at my wife's uh, college reunion at a, a small college in Minnesota. Uh, small liberal arts, uh, you know, it's one of those that is well-endowed and is competing uh, for students uh, with facilities. You know, they've, they're participating generally in the, the, you know, driving up of the amenities um, to to remain competitive with other institutions in in the region, so it's beautiful. I mean, it's like a it's a resort place. And uh, um, uh, you know, I walked into one of the dorm. We slept in the dorms. The dorms have ceiling fans. I had no ceiling fan when I was in college. We had sweat. <laughs> That's what we had. And we sweat, liked it. Where we liked, and we liked it. it. And if you were too hot, you sweat and you just blow on each other to cool off. That's what we did. It was suffering, and that's how you got educated. It builds character. Part, pardon my rant. Uh, it builds character. That does look at, not sound like a pretty picture. Look at me now. This is character. Uh, but but I, one of the things that I found so interesting, and we talked a lot about this with some of the other alum, were the the, the kinds of, of opportunities that they have had over the years, and none of them speak to what you are talking about, Nuno. They're all like, oh, you know, you get a work-study. Work-study is about, uh, you know, you can do some, maybe the closest you'll get to a business office is, is filing and collating, right? I mean, maybe you, uh, maybe you'll, you'll get to, to get your hands on the university Twitter account. Uh, it, maybe you'll get your hands in, in some of those. But generally, these opportunities are around cleaning. Uh, they're around, uh, you know, helping in the, in the academic classrooms. They're around 
helping in food services. I mean, those are what, what many of the work, uh, work study opportunities are right now. And what you're talking about really changes some of the dynamic there. It changes. And I think the message for business officers is you have an incredible resource in the student population that is likely going untapped. Is that a fair way to assess it? That is a very fair way to assess it. I was just having a conversation uh, this weekend with a, a small uh, college in, in New York, and uh, they were looking for creative ways to reduce their costs. They're trying to do an implementation in the near future. And the first thing I said to them is, have you thought about your students? And in this case, they have even a little bit older, more experienced students, which is, which is even better. Um, and they were, and they looked at me at, as if it was obvious, but yet they hadn't thought about it. So, I, and, I, and this is what I'm saying. I mean, I, I some of these students that I mentor, I I actually hire or help to find work somewhere else. Um, several of them have been project assistants or business analysts. Um, and, and and sure, there's a little bit of a, of a learning uh, curve, but they're effective almost from day one. Because I get to know them, I work with them one on one, train them. They come to meetings. Um, you know, they're taking notes. They're writing status reports. They're doing what I would normally do, except they're doing the things that I can teach them to do, so that I can focus on the more, um, uh, the more important things. So uh, this is this is an interesting thing because you have these students coming on coming from the universities that you're working. They're working for you in some cases. Yes, in some cases they they actually are hired by me. Yes, and, and this is this is in in uh, I maybe not in contrast to but but uh, in partnership with in helping institutions to realize the use of this resource too and and to hire students in more fulfilling ways. Yes, so that that is part of the mission to expose other institutions to expose the market. Really, to the possibilities of of using students like like this, um, and, and making them actual members of the of, of, of project teams. I, I don't want to get too too maybe too um, practical in this conversation, but I'm I'm curious how you how you help institutions build the infrastructure to to do that. Say say you come to to my alma mater and and we you know they say hey I we don't know how to do this. How do you <laughs> how do you help them build a system that allows them to make use of of student resources? So if uh, you know for business officers who are listening to this and want to to think about you know thinking creatively about their student resource, uh, where would they start? Honestly, I just tell them what what my experiences are. You know, it's it's not that complex. It's it's it comes down to um, in just logic. So think, think to yourself, if you're a student and you're looking for exposure, what would you like? So the first question I ask them is, tell me what you would love to do. What is it that, where do you want to be in five years? What sorts of things do you want to be exposed to that are going to get you there? And so once I know that, and once I know them a little bit, and that's critical, you have to kind of get to know them a little bit. Um, then I try to customize something that is going to give them maximum exposure to what they love to do. And then we work co-located. In, 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 in my case, when they're working with me, we're working very close, closely together, sometimes just feet away. We're going to meetings together, and I'm there constantly mentoring, constantly advising, reviewing notes, etc., whatever it is that they're, that they're working on, until it gets to the point where they're a little bit more more independent. Um, but it all comes down to just listening to what they want to do and helping them to, to achieve. 
um, and then everything else fall, kind of falls into place. Have you run into institutions that already have a, a rich system for for doing this level of, of mentorship? That or is this a fairly novel thing for you? I don't know of anyone who's doing it to the okay. extent that I've been doing. It. That was my sense, Gail. I'm sorry. Yeah. It sounds yeah. like I almost interrupted you. I was also thinking, you know, a lesson for our business officer listeners can be to to think outside the box in terms of what students are capable of being of of doing. So absolutely, you know, Nuno, where you're talking about having the conversation of of what does what is the student really interested in the business officer can have with their staff the conversation of what do we what else do we really need people to be doing that we think we don't have the resources for or we know we don't have the resources for and you know how can our students fill that need um, because it will not only be providing um, substantive work for the student and giving them incredible skills when they leave, um, you know, and, and go off to show off what a, what a great value um, a, a degree from your institution is, but it's providing a really um, significant resource need in your department or division. You you are so so right. It is bringing together of what it is that the organization needs, but what it is that the students are passionate about. If you can right. bring that together, that that is the formula. It just takes care of itself almost because uh, the reward system is, is just embedded in the process. It, it's such an interesting thing because they uh, these students are they're so invested. The the university, the institution, is it is their lifeblood at that point, right? It is, they're so much more invested, I think, than we'd give them credit for because they live there, they eat there, they sleep there, they work there. They want to see it thrive. That's correct. That's right. And in some cases, it doesn't even have to be students of the same university working at the university. Um, like for example, I'm at Boston College and I've had many students come from UMass to help me at Boston College. And that's worked out. That's worked out really, really well. The the act of becoming a mentor and creating a sort of mentorship kind of program, or even uh, maybe it's not even fair to say program, but to create a mentorship mentality, uh, I imagine takes a, a shift in worldview. If you were if you were meeting with a new business officer, saying, "Here's you know, here's my experience. Here's how you can think about becoming a mentor and and taking on this leadership role. What are the kinds of commitments and and the change of mindset that you might uh, advise?" Um, those getting started in a program like this would need to be aware of. So the typical scenario I see uh, with students coming into internships or uh, you know, something like what I'm describing is that the student hangs around and waits and waits and waits for something interesting to do. Many times I've seen, I've seen this. Most of the time I've seen this. So the shift in mentality is first, we have to make sure that this student is getting valuable Mentorship, of course, but valuable work. They need to be doing something they thoroughly enjoy. They really feel like they're getting closer to their end goals, whatever it is. So how does that translate into a shift in mentality of the executives making these decisions? Well, it takes some time to kind of think through uh, where the organization can use the students, um, which students might fit into that uh, particular role, the time needed, because there is time that's needed from the, um, from the managers on the ground to, to do the mentorship. Even the, the location, you know, doesn't help if the student is sitting half mile away or even in a different building. It's much better if they're embedded right in the project team so they can see things happening, so they can be mentored by the project team. 
Um, so that, those are some of the things, some of the mind shift that needs to take place. Gail, I'm, I, I'm, do you, are you, as you listen to this, do you see opportunities that, that are as head slappingly obvious as I do <laughs> in, <laughs> in working with teams? Like, this is one of those things. I, I sort of can't believe we, we haven't, haven't institutionally, and I'm speaking personally now, uh, institutionally seen more use of this of the student population as a as a deeply invested resource in my own work. Are you seeing that like me? I, I am, but I, I think it, it is what you, I, I loved how you said that, you know, mentorship mentality. Um, I think that it is important to acknowledge that that, that is a real shift. Um, and I think we, we think we don't have the time for it. Yes. What I, what I hear, you know, again, this is why I love listening to, to Nuno because he believe if you believe it, you will find the time for it, and and that's what he has done. There's a. I opened this show with a, a the briefest of mentions that Nuno lives and works from his RV. And oh, I, I was waiting like, for us to get back to that. Yeah, this is this is. <laughs> uh, I I need to complete the the circle on that, and because I, I I think part of that commitment we talk about that investment in change and and that mentorship mentality. I think my hunch is that much of it uh, stems from this experience that you were cultivating for yourself, Nuno. Can you give us some background on, on and, and kind of walk us through your, your day-to-day experience, of how you live, how you work? <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned this because this is definitely the most, uh, the topic of most conversation <laughs> when, when people find out about what I do and how I live. It's not about what I do that they want to know. It's how I live they want they want to know. I, I, so, I imagine those are those are yin and yang, right? I mean, that I have to imagine they relate. Yeah, yeah, they do. They do. Um, so about three years ago, three or four years ago, I decided that I was going to simplify my life um, quite a bit um, and decided that I was going to rent out my house, which uh, which I did, uh, and uh, was going to basically quote-unquote, live out of uh, an RV. And at first I had a trailer that I parked somewhere close to where most of the clients are in Boston. And then I decided to go all the way and get myself a, uh, a it's an RV, but it's oh, you can also drive it around. I don't really know what the official term for it is. It's, it's a large van that has everything you can possibly imagine needing in a home, but it's all there, packed into a small space. Um and that is what you referred to earlier as my mobile command center. So that allows me to basically have a very, very mobile lifestyle. I just came back from Canada. Um, for the last three weeks, I was traveling through New York and Canada, and I was working as I was, as I was traveling. Uh, I was almost every day by the water um, uh, up in Muskoka in Canada, if anyone's uh, familiar with it. And it was just amazing. It was just amazing. What an amazing experience. Every, it seemed like every few hours somebody was stopping me and saying, oh, can I look inside? Or <laughs> I, have <a> little, <laughs> I have a little $20 satellite-looking kind of Wi-Fi um, antenna. And everybody was, okay, what's that? <laughs> and after a couple of days, people at the restaurant that I was going to were like, oh, hi, how are you? Come back. Here's your seat. Because <laughs> they knew where I was going to sit. <laughs> and of course, I was visiting with friends. I was visiting with, with family. I was I, I visited with a couple of universities on, on uh, during the trip. Um, 
it's just an incredible way to live. It's an incredible way to step back and think and think in very, very novel ways um, without the, the other details of life. And simplifying life has allowed me to think in a different way. Is that is that the the biggest sort of impact you found on the way this lifestyle has affected the way you work? Yeah, I would say I would say yes. It is an incredibly liberating way to live. It is it is. I mean, I'm really speechless. I, it's it's. I don't have some of the responsibilities that I would, that I would normally have, like cutting the grass or. You know, shoveling the snow, or I have what I do with that time instead is I do what I just described, or I spend time with my children, um, or I spend time with friends, or I spend time with the students. It's wonderful. That's fascinating. Uh, I I felt that same degree, uh, uh, what I thought was the same degree of liberation when I moved from a regular desk to a stand-up desk. And uh, now I realize that my experience pales in comparison, and I need to get back to work. Well, you are invited to come and visit anyway. Well, well, thank you. I I may just be hitching a ride sometime. You'll see me on the side of the road. You will have to call ahead, because I never know where I'm going to (laughs) be. Well, I just I just have two things to re- to respond to uh, Nuno's thoughts there. First of all, regarding the shoveling snow for all of us us in the Northeast, too soon, too soon, Nuno. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and secondly, I think you know the lesson for the rest of us who who are let's face it, probably not going to um, get our own mobile command center is to kind of find those things that allow us to to think creatively you know to to exercise to visit with friends to do those things that you know Nuno is describing but to do them you know as we can and um because they they are so important and Nuno is a living example of 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 what you can do um when you give yourself time to focus on those things I I think that's a a really great point I mean when you look at the, the the overall lesson of this conversation for me is just the value of changing perspective and and you know we we talk about the the act of changing to that mentorship mentality to look at the student resources that come into your office for any number of reasons from financial aid to billing to whatever you know these are people standing in front of you that are committed to the institution by and large and how can how can we make use of those how can we change the way we think uh, to help grow the institution and grow their experience I, it's I love the student centeredness of it it's just it, it gets me very excited uh, but but again to Nuno's experience of, of hitting the open road to do the work is is a change in perspective that is is aspirational i think for many of us and and uh uh that's that's a great reminder what did we miss anything else we missed gail any other questions that were on your list i think that we've we've hit them all you know i just i wanted to make sure we got that rv in the end and you you did that pete um <laughs> good you know, no no is there anything else you want to share with us anything else you want to share with our listeners there is so 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 much so so much I, i'm actually hoping to share some of this um through a blog that I'm working on, but it's not quite ready. It will be one of these days. And uh, look for the blog. We'll look for the blog. It's, it it, it <laughs> is that that's got to be on your list of shame, given this experience for the last three years that you don't have a blog about it yet. Uh, I know, I know, I know. What am I going to do? <laughs> I'm so ashamed. Well, this is it's a great experience and as soon as this uh, you know we will certainly update links from uh, this post on Tybal Link and point uh, to all of your, you know, social endeavors as soon as they go live. So just keep us posted. And definitely it, where would you like people to go for now to learn more about you and your work and your experience? Oh, sure. Well, thank you for asking. 
my website is www.optimal-partners.com. So again, optimal, O-P-T-I-M-A-L, dash, partners, with an S, dot com. And if you want to learn more about my crazy adventure, adventures, excuse me, go to the Our Story page. That's everybody's favorite. <laughs> Highest you can see, clicks. Yeah, your yeah. analytics must be a riot. <laughs> oh, everybody goes to that page and then scrolls all the way down to the bottom to see a picture of me standing in front of my RV by the water in Massachusetts. We'll make sure it's, not to post that picture on all, our site. It's just going to be a, a see the picture <laughs> link directly to that section. That's what we'll do. Uh, this has been a great conversation. You know, I hope you, uh, I hope you will uh, come back and, and share more of your uh, your stories now that we've got the mentorship mentality conversation under our belts we can start digging into even more in the future well thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure thank you nuno kuto uh, optimal-partners.com uh, gail gregory as always it's a treat thank you pete now that we're finished with game of thrones we can move on to something new Together. That's right. That'll That's be our right. next our next podcast. Our next topic. podcast topic. We didn't even mention it this time. That shows enormous restraint. It does. Thank you everybody for downloading and listening. Once again, find out more about us at tybelink.com or catch us on Twitter, Howard Tybel, or uh, on LinkedIn. We'd love to hear your thoughts and uh, have you share your stories on this very show. On behalf of Gail Gregory and Nuno Kuto, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next week on Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybelink. Inc.